Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in our number three of the program. And uh, normally at this time, we'll be joined by New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell for midweek with the mayor. But he is traveling this week. He is not going to be able to join us. Uh, I guess he's not going to be able to join us next week either. So we'll talk to him in two weeks. Uh, about everything that's been happening, everything that's been going on. So save all your questions for the mayor until then, and uh, we'll make sure we get him to answer all of them when he comes back. But for now, it's you, it's me, it's 508-996-0500, and it's App Chat on the WBSM app. And uh, just a point, I was incorrect in what I was saying before for the home rule petition process. They cannot override if the mayor doesn't sign it. He has to sign a home rule petition for it to move forward to the state legislature. So I just want to make that clear. There's there's some confusion about some texts I'm being sent and some information and you know, I might be confused about what I heard in the discussion last night. So, but that's that's the fact of the matter. It would need the mayor's signature to move forward if that is going to be the case. But, but before any of that happens though, the question will be put to you, the New Bedford residents. When it is put on the ballot, because it's, I can't imagine it doesn't end up being on the ballot. And it'll be a non-binding question for you to answer as to whether or not you feel there should be rent stabilization in the city. And again, I've said, you know, multiple times, this is a proposal put forth uh, by Councilor at Large Shane Burgo, but it's also co-sponsored by Councilor at Large Brian Gomes and Council President Linda Morad, uh, which you can read all about in Marcus's article at WBSM.com and on the app, and you can also hear the interview last night with Councilor Burgo. But I just want to get your feelings on that. Would you support rent stabilization? And I have to reiterate one more time, well, probably multiple more times, but uh, at least another time here, Rent stabilization is not the same as rent control. It will not be a hard cap of what they can charge. It'll be a hard cap of the percentage that the rent can be raised from lease year to lease year. And Councilor Burgo mentioned there might be some some things they can do, some inse- ways they can incentivize things with those percentages. It's all something that will be discussed going forward in the future if the voters of New Bedford say this is an avenue and an ordinance we'd like to pursue. So it'll all come down to you in November having your voice heard. You know what I like about this too? Kind of as a side benefit of this question, likely making it to the November ballot. I think this is going to be a question that will draw out a lot of voters. This will be a question that will bring up those voting percentages in New Bedford. The turnout will be higher, I promise you, 
with this question on the ballot than it would have been otherwise. And I like that. I like anything that will motivate people to want to get out there and cast their vote. And I also like it when it can be done in a non-binding way. Where it's, we just want to, we want to get the feeling of the, 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 and the sentiments and take the temperature of how people feel about this issue. And I've always thought that that's a good way to govern a municipality. When, when I was working in the restaurant business and I was working at the Mill Pond Diner for, for the 17 years that I was there, Biff Goyette every year would, we, as we would go around, actually, and it was multiple times a year, there would be different elections we would do. Uh, it wasn't always just, you know, state, municipal, national elections that we would do. We would do, you know, all kinds of catering jobs for whenever there would be something political going on. You know, maybe it might be an election. Maybe it might be a Democratic or Republican fundraiser event. Or maybe it might But he, you know, he was very involved and he was no doubt a Republican, but he also was very close with a number of Democrats because the way he looked at it is they're hiring me to do a catering job. I'm not letting my my politics get in the way of it. He would not let his politics get in the way of him taking money from anybody. So we would always get into these discussions as we were working these different events. And certainly when we were driving around at the precincts, dropping off sandwiches and soup every time, it would inevitably come up where he would say, I want you to run for selectman. And I always said, you wouldn't want me as a selectman because I would not agree with anything that it is that you think that I would agree with. And he said, no, but I, I think you would do a good job of it and you would be fair about it. And I said, well, actually, the way that I would want to do it if I was a selectman in Wareham is I would want to, you know, when it comes to deciding on issues, and this was kind of in the pre-social media age, I said, but I would want to poll the constituents and see what they feel about issues before, you know, and, and take that into account into me making my decision. I would want to have, I, I believe the term that I use at that point was a website where I could put up the questions and people could go and vote on them and have a, 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 a answering machine or a voicemail where they could leave me what they think about it. And I would take all of that into account before, and I would be out there pushing for people to, to utilize those formats to talk to me. And part of that was mainly because I knew for a job I'm not getting paid for, I still have to do my other jobs too, or else I wouldn't be able to live. So I wouldn't have time to walk around and ask people what they think about things. But, um, he told me, he's like, wait, you want to you wanna listen to the people? You want to let the people help you make up your mind on things? Never mind, you'd be, you'd be a terrible politician, Tim. <laughs> that's what he would tell me. But I do think that that's the right way to do it. I think having a question, something of importance like this, like rent stabilization and putting it out to the people to see how they feel about it, is the right way to do it. And to see, and, and as Councilor Burgo said, if it comes back that the city voters say, no, nah, we don't think this is a good plan, they'll come up with a different plan. They'll come up with a different idea, but they will still be trying to do something to help people stay in their homes. So this is just one avenue to pursue, and it may work, it may not. And I, I think it's worth discussion, and it's worth talking to all of you about what you think are the pluses and what you think are the pitfalls of, of trying to be able to do this. 508-996-0500. Good morning. You're next on WBS. Good morning, Spooky. How are we doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there, <laughs> especially with this issue here. Uh, rent stabilization, yeah, I would, I would want to see that. Uh, I'm not a renter. I own a home, a house, okay? 
but I think if uh, rents start to go up, I think you're going to see a, a reason for you know the uh, city to go up again on their taxes even higher. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the rents going to affect everybody that sort of stuff. The, the increase in rents, it might blow up in their face though because like you say, it's a 90 minute travel once the train does get down here to get up to Boston. I don't know how many people will be uh, living here and working in Boston. I know for you, Dunn, that was too much of a thing, even without a train. So uh, they be picked up and moved closer to his job. Uh, so it could blow up in everybody's face here that uh, really uh, we don't have uh, people working out in New Bedford. Uh, as far as uh, the city council and uh, uh, Councillor Burgo, uh, was it? Uh, yep. uh, him, uh, I think it's a good idea for stabilization. And back it back by Gomes and um, and uh, Linda Morad, uh, but again, uh, as soon as you get that combination, you're going to see the mayor, I think, come out against it. Okay, I know he's not around uh, to say anything about it, but I think when he does uh, uh, reflect on it, I, I think there's been an effort, whether you know uh, out there or not, to try to gentrify the city. You know. And certainly with the, you know, the train and with the uh, work on the waterfront, it leaves a lot of people who have called New Bedford home uh, out in the cold, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, this, this is uh, certainly a problem. And even for those of us who own homes, once you get higher rents, it'll be all the more reason to go up, up, up on your uh, on, on your taxes, and I know I'm on a fixed income. I can only afford so much, so hopefully, uh, you know, it, it could be at least... And again, if you voted for it, that's just an opinion that the voters would have. There's nothing that makes right. it, makes it that, you know, uh, they have to follow the opinion of the people, which I think they should, because, of course, it's supposed to be a government of, for, and by the people, but doesn't seem like it's like that even in a, in a local level a lot of times. And, and I, I think, too, that having that non-binding question is uh, also important if you do have to go forward. And so the, the city council could try and do this without putting it to a vote. They could just say, hey, we think this is a good idea. Let's go forward with it and try to get this home rule petition. But I think having the citizenry of New Bedford behind them saying, you know, 78% of citizens that voted feel like this should be the case, that really helps make that case to the state legislature for the home rule petition. Certainly that would be the, the that would that's the right thing to do. But again, you don't get any home rule petition unless the mayor signs off on it. And so his uh, opinion on this is going to be a big uh, a big thing, and since it's come out of the city council, usually he doesn't agree with the city council. So uh, I, I don't think he's going to agree with this, and it's just going to stay there. And uh, I think he's looking for a new New Bedford, which maybe doesn't mean that some of the people are here here, and maybe that's not good. The other thing I'd, I'd like to say too is I know traveling around New Bedford, I do see a lot of buildings, former homes that are not developed. They're just there. They're fire hazards waiting to go up. And I think it's because of probably uh, legal, you know, tied up in legal problems. Uh, I know in an area that I used to have a property on, uh, there was about uh, three homes, uh, two on the street and one on the adjacent street, that have been empty and undeveloped for a long time. I imagine it must be some legal hang-up that they can't move on with that. Certainly, the state legislature. So, um, sometimes, sometimes it could just be a financial hang-up. Too. Well, I know, no, I, I know. I lived in the area. I know. I, I could say what it is in one of them, but I, I won't. It's, okay. it's legal. It's held up in the state legislature because of uh, laws and legality. 
certainly, uh, you know, the state lawmakers should look at these properties and try to pass something that would allow these properties to become open to contractors who might want to go and develop them, you know, because they've been there for years, at least 10 years, if not more. And that way, at least you have some more housing, you know. Mm -hmm. Imagine after all this time, if whoever was the owner, whatever the legal hang-up is, it hasn't been resolved, uh, it's not going to get resolved. So either, you know, the property would be refurbished at a, at a low rate of to obtain the property, or knocked down and built something new there, things like that. It would, would, would help a little bit at least. And I think probably all over the city there's a number of properties that are, that might be like that. You know, right. I just happen to know the particular area because I at one time lived in that area. And just throwing out a number, you know, with a focus on this, which it seems like there there is a focus on this uh, in, in the very near future, you know, 10 years from now there could be a 1,000 new available units for people to live in. Well, yeah, I, I again, I think if they don't have this mass, uh, exodus out of Boston to come down here to take the train to go work in Boston, which I don't think is going to happen, okay? I think the train will be used if you want to go up on a weekend and see the Red Sox or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, so this could all be for naught, and all of a sudden prices on rents come soaring down because there's not this, you know, movement of people from the Boston area down here. My, my question is, though, too, as Chris McCarthy likes to say, as goes New Bedford, so goes the uh, towns around New Bedford. What effect is this going to have on the towns around New Bedford, uh, like, uh, you know, Fairhaven and... Uh, uh, Dartmouth, or what, what are those rents going to be if you want to live in Dartmouth or Fairhaven? Certainly, uh, renters there might see an increase uh, to live in an area outside of the urban uh, city. Absolutely. So it, it, this is going to affect all of us and what comes down with this. And, uh, you know, um, I, like I said, I think the fair way about this is to have this uh, referendum and see what the people say, and then we'll see if the, leader, the leaders of the uh, city uh, go along with uh, what the uh, people want. Sure thing. Well, thank you for the call. All right, my friend. You have a good day. You, you too. Bye-bye. And I'm going to take a break here, but if you want to call in, you can. 508-996-0500. Um, just going back to what we were saying before, uh, TF Thumbs in New Bedford sent an app chat message just going back about the um, the security deposit for renters. Because I said, you know, if you, if you have a security deposit, if you made a security deposit, just know that there's rights involved with that. Uh, he says, if you collect a security deposit, you must provide a statement of condition of the unit. It should be signed by both parties. This ensures that both parties are aware of the existing conditions. They may not deduct for normal wear and tear. And that's a good point that I should have brought up. That is something that I've I've seen people not fight that when they should. That, um, you know, normal wear and tear is expected from anybody living there. You know, and it's expected that the the landlord will have to come in and, you know, uh, have all the rugs professionally cleaned and, you know, paint the walls and, you know, maybe fix, uh, fix a door handle that got a little bit loose or all those kind of things. And they can't charge you for that. What they can charge you for is, you know, major damage that they have to, um, they have to repair. Uh, that's directly your fault. Uh, so that's something to just keep in mind as well. I've always found too, that, you know, if you, it, if you have to end things with a landlord, Try to keep the relationship friendly, even if it has to turn legal, even if you have to take that landlord to court or because there's all kinds of things that protect you as the renter, but there's all kinds of ways that you can get screwed in the process, too, if if you decide to be the jerk in the situation. So you can still exercise all of your rights that you have, 
but keep that approach and keep that in mind if this is just business. Because it's not personal to the landlord. It's just business to them. They just want to get you out and get the next person in. So you need to keep it from the same perspective. It is just business for you. As emotionally as it hurts and as raw as it can make you feel, it is business. Because the minute you start letting emotion handle it, that's when things start not going your way. So, for example, you know, don't get really mad and then go in and trash the place when you're moving out because you're upset at the landlord. Because that's only going to come back on you the next time you try to rent a place. And the landlord says, gee, I don't know. I mean, they were great for eight years, but then when they moved, they were all mad at me and they ripped apart the apartment. So I think emotion gets way too involved into these situations sometimes. Anyway, 508-996-0500. We'll take a break. Be back in a few moments. 1420 WB. here in the studio on the counter. That's never really good for the equipment. Oh, I can't help it. All right, anyway. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in or on AppChat on the WBSM app if you want to have your voice heard that way. Uh, I want to bring up a couple of things. I had mentioned earlier in the, earlier in the program, I have an article up about the planned... Christmas in July event at Edaville. They made this announcement yesterday. Well, actually, they've they've talked about it before. They've mentioned that they will be back with Christmas in July a couple of times in some of their posts. But it, I thought this was an important thing to to bring out there to you because there are still a lot of questions about if they do open in the summer, is Thomas Land going to be part of that? And no, the Christmas in July opening plan, the the, the plan for this. Christmas in July event is for them to have all of the same things that they had during the Festival of Lights just in July. So they're going to have all of the the vintage rides, the, the you know the the regular Midway rides, not the Thomas Land rides, but the regular Midway rides will all be open. They will have the train rides, they will have the Christmas market, they will have all of the lights. Now obviously because it's summertime, the lights aren't going to be coming on at 4 p.m. I mean, maybe they'll turn them on, but you're not going to be able to see them until it gets darker a little bit later on at night. But they will have all of the lights. In fact, what they're doing right now is they're taking down all the lights, bringing them into the shop. They're giving them fresh coat of paint if they've got, you know, that element to them. And uh, they're fixing all the bulbs and they're making sure that they shine brighter and cleaner than ever. But you still, you know, you'll probably have to go a little bit later in the evening to see them. In, in full display, but they'll have everything else going on that they had going on at Christmas time. It will literally be a Christmas in July event. So I talked with Hannah Miller of Edaville and I asked her, you know, what, what people can expect. And she told me all of that, but one thing that you can expect that won't be happening. And I don't know, maybe people didn't see the article about this. Maybe people haven't been keeping up with the story, 
but Thomas Land will not be part of that because as owner John Deli Prescoli told the uh, Carver Select Board when he made his proposal, well, and it's not even a formal proposal yet. It's just he wanted to give them an idea of what he's thinking about doing with a portion of that property and building residential housing on it. And he's not building affordable housing. He's not building government-subsidized housing. He's building a majority, I think it's you know 80% market rate housing, and then 20% of it will be income-controlled affordable housing without any government subsidy what they call 40B housing. Carver does not hit its requirement of 40B housing. So this would allow for them to hit that requirement. Also, he is not proposing the changing of the park as a way to build this housing. It'll happen on land outside of what's already there. Um, they'll, they'll probably end up using some of the stuff where they were going to have expansion for this, and they will be redirecting the train for part of it. And listen, Thomas Land is going to go. They're not going to be able to keep those rides because all of those rides are designed to look like Thomas and Thomas and his friends. And so they can't keep those rides and just say, we're just going to call them something different. Instead of, you know, Thomas's, you know, train ride or whatever, we're going to call it Jerry's train ride. You can't do that. The likenesses are still of those characters. So when if they're ending that relationship, they probably need the owners, which I think is Mattel. The I think they bought it from Hit Entertainment. They need Mattel to come and pick up all that Thomas equipment and, and remove it from the property. And I'm sure it's just sitting there right now because Mattel doesn't have another partner to move those amusements to. So essentially, Edaville is just storage for those right now. And again, I don't know anything behind the scenes on this. This is just me speculating. But what John Deli Prescoli did say is that the relationship didn't really work out the way they expected it to. It did not prove beneficial financially. And so they're not going to be continuing that relationship. So there won't be any more Thomas Land. So you don't have to go underneath the story on Facebook and say, well, what about Thomas Land? Will Thomas Land be open? Are they going to have Thomas Land open? First of all, it says right in the story that Thomas Land won't be open. And I know not everybody who wants to click the story and actually read. They just want to comment based on the headline alone. But not only will there not be Thomas Land this summer as part of it, there will be no more Thomas Land. And I think I get worked up about this because I'm somebody that thinks that Edaville is a great place without Thomas Land. I thought it was great before that, and I think it's great without it. And so it bothers me when I read all these comments. Well, we only went there for Thomas Land. Well, then don't come back. If that's the case, if you can't appreciate everything else that was at the park, don't go to the park. You know, it's similar to when somebody says, oh, I'm not coming to this page anymore and reading your stories. Okay, fine. As we always say, it's not it's not an airport. No need to announce your departure. But there you go. It is. There's not going to be Thomas Land as part of that. I just I just gave you that spoiler alert before you even click on the story. So that's one article that I have up there. The other one I think is pretty cool if you're into local history, like I am, and especially if you're into the Lizzie Borden case. Last Friday, the Bristol County Sheriff's Office shared a post on its Facebook page about some vintage documents that they found in the office. And some of them are some old logbooks and some of them some old um, 
I, I guess, budgeting sheets. But one of the forms that was discovered and displayed in these photos is the minimus for Lizzie Borden. Now, what is a minimus? I didn't know either. Marcus right now is like, I know what it is, but any, you know, people who aren't lawyers or in law enforcement have probably never heard the term minimus uh, unless you've been somebody that they've had to write out a minimus for, which is, it is the, the formal document. It's Latin for we send, and it's the formal document that must be provided to a law enforcement official that says that they are required to bring a suspect to jail to await trial. So this is the, you know, it's kind of like the, 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 you know, the, the formal documentation that says, go arrest Lizzie Borden and bring her to jail. And this is the paperwork to use it. So it's a form of a warrant. And they have the original minimus from 1892 that, and, and the language that I can make out on it, and you'll see in some of these examples of these photos on the Bristol County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, some of the handwriting was beautiful. The logbook that they have, which I think is from the 1930s, the handwriting is outstanding. And it's mostly legible. Like, you know, it's it's it would have been super crystal clear handwriting for the time, but it's just a little bit different than how we write now. So you might not be able to make out all the names precisely. But the writing on the Metamus is a little bit questionable. And by the way, that form is going to the Fall River Historical Society to go into their document archives for all things Lizzie Borden. But the you can see the photos of it in the story. And that's, you know, is it, does it matter in the long run? No, it doesn't say anything about her guilt or innocence. And, and by the way, if you aren't familiar with the case, Lizzie Borden was acquitted of those murders. So she is not an axe murderer. She was an accused axe murderer who was acquitted of those charges. And that's a very important thing to remember when talking about her and her legacy. Especially today on International Women's Day. We don't need to have her be further maligned. If you want to believe that she did it, you can. But as far as the law is concerned, she was acquitted of those charges. Now, so was O.J. Simpson, right? But. That's where it stands from a legal perspective. So does this the discovery of this document change any of that? No, of course it doesn't. All it does is give us one more piece of history connecting back to the trial. And having been in her house many times, having been around some of her possessions, uh, having been and walked to the same halls that she did, I still geek out when there's a new piece of, of history connected to her that we can learn more about. So I thought it was pretty cool. So I wrote up a story about it at WBSM.com and on the app, and you can check it out for yourself. And people always say, well, is there anything out there related to the case that would change anything? And if they found the actual murder weapon... Maybe, because they've never actually found, they have a handle that they think might have been the handle to the hatchet used, but there's no definitive proof that it was, and they don't have the blade itself. Maybe the murder weapon would make a difference. I don't think so. I think the reason why they didn't find the murder weapon on the property was because 
the murder weapon was taken off the property. Whether somebody on the property did the murders or not, the murder weapon was removed from the property. And then the other thing that's out there that may have something to say further is Lizzie Borden's inquest testimony. That is not part of the public documents on this case. That is something that was, I guess, sealed or it was something that, you know, it's, it's what the, it's what the lawyers took down from her. Well, yeah. So I guess it is. It's, it's under attorney client privilege. It's something that was, she went and told them what happened. The lawyers, the lawyers have that document, a law firm in Springfield, I believe Springfield has that document locked away in a safe. Because of attorney-client privilege, they've inherited it over the years from whoever the attorneys were that had it from there, and then from there, and then from there. It was, was it, I always get it wrong as to which lawyer was hers. But anyway, it, you know, it went down the chain over time, and now it's ended up in this, this law office in Springfield in a, in a safe. And all they will say about it, because they won't release it, obviously, they can't. But all they will say about it is that what is in that document would not change the outcome of the trial at all. That's the only statement that it's something along. That's not, not verbatim. I'm paraphrasing, but that's all that they've said about it. So other than those two things or some kind of viable confession that comes from somebody. It will forever remain unsolved. That's why I don't rack my brain trying to figure out if Lizzie Borden did it or not or if somebody else did it or not. It's it's not worth it for me because we're never going to get the answer. You can feel the way that you want to feel and just accept that. I look at it like this. She was acquitted. As far as the law is concerned, she didn't do it. Or there wasn't enough evidence to prove that she did. Maybe you feel differently. 508-996-0500. Or you can hit us up on App Chat on the WBSM app. Right now, I'm going to take our next break. We'll be back in a few moments. New Bedford's News Talk Station. In 508-996-0500 or hit us up on app chat on the WBSM app. Let's go back to the phones. You are next on WBSM. Hey, Mr. Weisberg. How are you? Good. Uh, it's your favorite, Karen. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call you that. But, I would never call you that. Okay. Then I won't call you Chad. Anyway, <laughs> I have, uh, I know you're interested. I've always been interested in the board in case I have a collection of books. Uh one year, my daughter made a birthday present and took me there to see the house inside and out. They wouldn't let us in with cameras. But anyway, I have a collection of books. And one day, about seven or eight years ago, I was at a yard sale, and I found a book. And inside it says it was from the New Bedford Public Library. So the person that had I don't know where they got it, but it came from the library. And it was one that I didn't already have. And it's called The Mystery Unveiled. 
by Todd Lunday. Now, he was a writer from that time when that was new. That crime was fairly new, and they were there at the time. Oh, okay. And they had all the, you know, they had all the clues and all. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you could go online and read it. I I didn't actually look it up because I have the book. And this book, there's no way that after you're finished with it, that you're going to believe that anybody else could have done it except Lizzie. She did it. And they explained it step by step, how it had to have happened. And I came away completely. I mean, and I always thought it was her anyway. Sure. Please look it up. It's The Mystery Unveiled, The Truth About the Borden Tragedy, Fresh Light That Must Be Convincing to All Readers. And the writer's name was Todd Lunday, L-U-N-D-A-Y. I have a collection of books. And uh, if you ever wanted to borrow one, I, I would trust you to give it back to me. Oh, that's very nice of you. Have, you. have you ever read Len Rebello's book? He has Lizzie Boyden, Past and Present. Have you ever read it, his work? Okay, that's fairly new. Right? Yeah, yeah. He, he actually just he no. passed away last month. Well, I, I do have quite a few books about the Boyden thing. The thing is, I haven't bought anything fairly new for quite a few years because the ones I have are fairly satisfying to me. I don't think there could possibly be anything new that I haven't already seen. Well, I can recommend two books that will just give you, it won't change your mind anything to do with the case, but it just kind of gives you more of kind of that idea of what it was like at the time if you don't have them already. There's a book called um, Parallel Lives that the the two gentlemen at the Fall River Historical Society wrote. It's a large book. I think it costs like 50 bucks, but they sell it down there. That's a good one worth reading just to get an idea of like what Fall River was like in that time period. And then I have the Lizzie Borden source book, which is a collection of all the newspaper articles from the time the, the, the murders were first reported through the trial. And it's amazing mm-hmm. to read the way that the writers covered this case and how mm-hmm. they automatically just uh, you know treated her as if she was guilty before there was even a trial like the way that the yellow journalism they used to cover that trial was just astounding and you can you can read the reprints of all of it in the source book Mm -hmm. i also have uh the fall river tragedy which was written at that time i think you can only even see them in a library now and that one i also found in a in not a yard sale at a flea market i bought that one it's the hardcover when you go into her house they have it in their china closet you can see it it's one of the first books Mm-hmm. The Fall River Tragedy. That's uh, Porter, that. Porter's book, right? Edwin Edwin Porter, I think. Oh, oh yes. I am so fortunate to have that. And uh, I have and I, I have an original hardcover, too, of Victoria Lincoln's A Private Disgrace, where they talked about how she might have been you know, mentally ill and had kleptomania and things like that. She might have been bipolar. Oh, yeah. yeah, they talked about all that yeah, in that yeah. book. So where did you get that? I don't know where I happened upon it. Probably like you, a, a yard sale or a flea market or something. That's where oh, I get yeah. most of my books. I mean, I was very fortunate to find these two. The others were bought and given to me as gifts. So, and I love every single one, and there's no way I'm getting rid of any of them. But please look that other one up. If you read that, you're not going to have, you're not going to believe anything else, because he explained it in such a way that every single detail fits perfectly. There couldn't not have been anybody else, even though they did suspect another guy out in the woods with an axe or something. Yeah, that was one, one of the theories. Everything. Yeah. So I, I hope you uh, hope you read it. If you can't find it online, I'll let you see it. Sure, I'm sure I can find it on uh, archive.org rather than take the risk of any damage to your collectible. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a. It's a small. It's a very small book. Not a lot of pages. Just exactly enough to tell the whole story. And I'll tell you, once you start reading it, one or two pages, you can't put that down. You can read the whole thing in about not even thirty minutes. That's like a perfect That's kind wonder- of book for it's me. Really wonderful.
Yeah, so really you, wonderful. you said you've been to the house, but you couldn't take pictures, but you got a chance to go inside and go through. Yes, they wouldn't let us bring our cam. We had cameras, and they said, nope, sorry, and they wouldn't let us. Hmm. And the garage was, at that time, that was about seven years ago, the garage was turned into a little uh, souvenir shop and stuff like that, yep. key rings and everything. You weren't going to get anything exactly that belonged to her. But what I'm upset about was the museum or something where they had storage of all the wood and stuff, and they had a big fire and a lot of stuff burned away. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, too, like a lot of the stuff that's been lost to time, um, I, I, you know, it, it, people look at it and they say, well, so what? I mean, it's not things that relate to the case, but when you have somebody who's like that, anything that was part of their life, if you can have mm -hmm. an original thing like that to, to, to tie into all mm -hmm. of this, it matters. It matters to me, and I'm, yeah. it sounds like it matters to you as well. I would like to go into the second home, you know, the one Lizzie Borden bought after uh, they all were killed in Hall in Fairhaven, I'm not saying Fall River. I've also been to the cemetery. I've seen the graves and all. Mm -hmm. And the part about where the court trial and all, where they actually had the skulls of her parents. <laughs> I mean, and then when it was all over, they buried the skulls into their grave. But that was crazy. Today, they wouldn't have had to have done that. They did the autopsy on the dining room table. How crazy is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you been inside the house? If you said it, I missed it. Oh, many times. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've, I used to have my own key to the place for a while. What? Did you sleep there ever? I've never slept there. No, I'd been there like all night, but I'd never actually slept there because I, you know, I only live 20 minutes away, so I would just go home. Do you believe she's guilty? I, I just look at it by the, the, the case of the law. I, so I won't call her guilty because the law said that she wasn't guilty. But like you, I look at it and I say, well, then who else did it? Well, when you read this book, please, please look it up. Please let me know if you did. I'm going to call you. You know that. Of, of course. Yeah, I definitely will. All right. So you right. got the name of it, right? Uh, I didn't write it down, but I'm going to write. I'm going to listen to the recording and write it down after the show. Okay. The mystery unveiled. I looked for a pen, but I couldn't find a piece of paper. All righty. All right. Have well, a good, good th day. Thank you. And I do have to take one final break. We'll be back in a few moments. For the program, but. We'll continue on the conversation coming up after Bill O'Reilly with Barry Richard. And then, of course, after him, you'll have Howie Carr, then South Coast Tonight, then Mark Levin, Charlie Kirk, all the overnight programming, and it starts all over again tomorrow with Phil. But let me just tell you, since we're already looking ahead to tomorrow morning, right? If you want to go out and have some good breakfast, maybe you want to go and have some late breakfast now. Maybe you want to have some lunch, whatever it might be. Just another Phoenix in Dartmouth is the place to go because they've got such creative menu items there. I can't stress that enough. You can get everything that you would expect to find at a breakfast and lunch place, but they have things there that you wouldn't even have thought of. Check out the daily specials each and every day. Very creative, very innovative. And if you uh, if you go there by yourself or with a friend and you want to sit at the counter, you can actually watch as the cook prepares everything for you on the grill right in front of your eyes. So you can uh, sit there and be entertained while you're enjoying a delicious meal. Or maybe you don't have time to stop and hang out, but you want to pick up some delicious food, you can get their entire menu available through their takeout window. It's really easy to get to. It's right on Fonz Corner Road. And every single day that you go there, they're going to have something different, something unique that you didn't think of before that you can try, or you can always get your standby favorites. Check them out. Just another Phoenix restaurant in Dartmouth, right on Fonz Corner Road. All right, so that will do it for me for today. I'm going to go see if I can track down that Lizzie Borden book, and I'm also going to be heading out to um, Buzzards Bay later on today for a very interesting article I'm going to be working on about a historical find 
in a place that's kind of full of historical finds. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to read that article about the Lizzie Borden Metamus, you can find that at WBSM.com and on the app. What's really interesting about that, too, is the form, the printed form that they had, all says all him, 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 and refer to any any suspect that has to be transported to jail. And they had to physically cross that out and write her over it. And it just shows you how rare it was for a woman to have committed a crime during the, the Victorian era of 1892 that they actually didn't have the form say his or her. They had to say him, and they had to cross it out to say her. That's, that's pretty astounding. I don't think that would fly today, right? People would want equality even on minimus forms. Anyway, that'll do it for me. Until tomorrow, I hope that you all enjoy every bowl of rancid mutton stew. Lizzie people WBSM and W25. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.